All right, good to see you tonight. Let's, uh, we're in Mark chapter 6. We're, we're in really the next week will be, I believe, the last week in, our, in the study we've been doing together, a series of discussions, Christianity Explored. So there's, as I've mentioned a couple of times, there's seven main discussions, and then there's this day away segment that uh, we've been kind of doing as individual lessons. And so you'll see on the summary, in the last two sessions, we were talking about how, how we respond to the message of Jesus. So the, the first six lessons is really about who Jesus is and whether we've been Christians for a long time or we are someone that's exploring this fresh and anew. All of us are looking at the, the message of Christ with a new perspective, fresh set of eyes. But then the last uh, couple of sessions, we're looking at how we respond to that. So we've seen the parable of the sower and the seed and how there's different ways that people respond. And then we saw the last week Jesus' discussion about power and humility. That was with James and John who said, hey, could you do something for us, Jesus? We want to be on the right hand and the left. And Jesus talked about what it would be like in his kingdom and then we looked at the blind man, blind Bartimaeus, and how his, his attitude was the right attitude. Well, in this, this discussion, talks about a very different, very different kind of response to the message. And this is a, if you think about the, if you think about it, that last week with James and John, the their heart's in the right place in some ways. I mean, they're following Jesus after all, Right? They're doing, they, they want to be disciples. They want to follow Jesus, but they're just a little mixed up about it, right? And, there's a, and that's kind of somewhere, all of us are somewhere on that journey, right? We're like James and John. We're like, hey, we want to follow, but we're, we're going to get it wrong sometimes. And then the week before with the sower, most of those people were disinterested or uninterested or somewhat interested, and then they kind of flaked off, so to speak, or fell by the wayside, but, but there was something there. And, but this week, it's actually looking at someone who was hostile to the message of Jesus, right? Someone who is not just, uh, not just unaffected or callous or cold, but we see somebody who has an opportunity, is so close, but makes the wrong decision. And that is Herod. This is Herod. Now, there's a few Herods in the Bible, but this is, a, this is a, the Herod that was ruling in Palestine. He would be Jewish, but he is a puppet, he is a puppet dictator for the Roman Empire. It's all about power. He's all about money. He's all about being in with a certain group of people. And so we pick up this account in Mark chapter 6. Let's read this together. And then tonight we will watch the video. We'll be back to the, one of the videos that was provided for us. So Mark chapter 6, let's kind of talk through this. Pick it up with me in verse number 14. Now, if you looked at, well, what, what does it start with? It starts with, and King Herod heard of him. Now, heard of who? Well, heard of Jesus, for his name was spread abroad. So now in Mark chapter, here in Mark chapter 6, we're into Jesus, into Jesus' ministry. There have been, uh, if you were to back up just one verse, you'd find out that there were uh, demons that were cast out. There were many who were sick that were healed. So 
Herod has obviously heard about Jesus. But when he hears this, John, uh, Herod gets a little bit nervous. Why? Because Herod says this. When he hears about Jesus, he says, this must be who? Who is this? This has got to be John the Baptist. But the problem is John the Baptist was? He's, he has been headless for a little while now. He's dead. John the Baptist is dead. But Herod has good reason to be afraid because why is John the Baptist dead? Because Herod executed him. Herod executed him. Now, it's interesting. In fact, look at what he says here. Herod says, well, this must be John the Baptist risen from the dead. And therefore, mighty works do show forth themselves in him. So, if, so what do you think is going through the, the mind of this King Herod at this moment? What kind of thoughts are going through his mind? He's scared to death, right? Because he just put this guy to death who was saying that this man Jesus was coming, and he's, Herod is no theologian, right? But when he hears about miracles happening, happening and he just killed this prophet, he's like, these two, he's not dumb. These two things must be related. Interesting, isn't it? It's interesting that he knows enough. Like, he doesn't deny that these miracles are happening, right? It's actually the same thing as the religious leaders. Nobody ever came along and said, Jesus is a fake. He's not really performing the miracles. They never said that. They could have, but they, they could have tried that, but they didn't because they couldn't deny the miracles. But the reaction still wasn't right. So, look what it says in verse number 15. Now, so other people had other opinions, and some people said, oh, this, is, this must be that old prophet Elijah, or one of those other prophets that's come back. But, verse 16, we focus back in on Herod. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, it is John, whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. Now, here's the backstory. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Interesting turn of events, what had happened. Herod has a brother named what? Did you catch that? Herod's brother's name is? No? Philip. Herod's brother is Philip. Now, Herod's brother has a wife, now known as Herodias. Now, these, these people were perverse and corrupt, and Herod says, he looks at his brother Philip, and then he looks at his brother Philip's wife, and he says, I want her. And so he uses his power to take this woman from his brother and make her his illegal wife. So it's an illegal divorce and marriage that has taken place. This is against the law. Herod is a, a Jew. He's behaving more like the Greeks or Romans of the day. And John the Baptist, verse 18, had said unto Herod, this is, this is against the law. 
This is a violation. This is wrong. Now, that's John the Baptist speaking, as they say, truth to power. Now, Herod doesn't like to hear that. Herod doesn't like to be told that what he has done is wrong. There's a whole message there, too. But there's some interesting things about Herod. I want you to, we're thinking about Herod here. Now, therefore, therefore, Herodias, the lady, she had a quarrel against John and would have killed him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and unholy, and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. So now what are we learning about Herod? It's just fascinating, fascinating to me. What do we know about Herod now? He's, in, he's in, at least intrigued. So that's one thing. He's at, at the very least, he's intrigued by John's preaching and the things that John does. That's at the very least. At the very most, we could say what? That possibly he knows that maybe what John's saying is true? Maybe it's correct? So Herod likes to keep the truth at arm's distance, right? He likes to keep, the, the, he likes to keep this message about Messiah and, and righteousness he wants to keep this all at arm's length. Why do you think that is? Well, you're going to say something first. You had your hand up. Yeah. It could be that here's somebody that doesn't have anything to gain. Like doesn't doesn't. Can you imagine how the how people usually treated Herod, right? They probably, you know, kissing up to him and, and trying to get in good with him and his entourage. And here's this guy, John. He doesn't care about him at all from that standpoint. So maybe it is a breath of fresh air. Let's get back to this. But now he wants to, he takes him and he locks him in prison. And he knows there's something to do, but he keeps the truth at arm's distance. What do you think? What, what, what is that? I think there's a profile of people like that. How, any thoughts on that? Those that keep it, yeah, Eric. And no difference um, what's going on by what's like today. People want to hear the truth, but they want it from a distant. Yeah. And eventually they do come to the Lord. Yeah, or they don't. But I think that's the, I think that's the, you're right. That's true. And and backslid for many years, but everybody prayed for him, and it took him, took him 20 years to come wow. back to the Lord. Praise the Lord. So, Well, you're right, it does happen both ways. And in fact, some of the Pharisees that were opposed to Jesus and John the Baptist, they would eventually become believers. But with, John, with Herod, it never does happen. So you're right, there's both profiles. Herod keeps it, but I think in Herod's mind... I think in Herod's mind, he's got control over this. You know what I'm saying? Like, here's the message, and maybe I'll take this, 
or maybe I'll live my life how I want. And I think there are a fair amount of people who and we're thinking about how we can respond to the word, who hear the truth and are just they're like, well, I'm just not ready to commit. In fact, this was popular. Among, apparently, this was a theme among some of these ruling people because there's another regional king you read about in the book of Acts. His name is Agrippa. And Agrippa would, many years later, Agrippa would have a similar experience. Paul would talk about the faith and Agrippa would look at Paul and say, Paul, you've almost persuaded me to become a Christian, right? And, he, and Paul would say to him, you know these things are true. So that there's this interesting concept here. But Herod's going to make a choice. But Herod's going to have to make a choice. And at some point, every person does have to make a choice. You, cannot, you can't ride the fence forever. You can't have it both ways forever. You're either going to eventually make the choice to commit to Christ, or you're going to make the choice and actually become an antagonist. Very interesting. So look what happens. Right? Can't stay in the middle. No way. All right. Look with me at uh, verse, where do we leave off? 20. Verse 20. For Herod feared John. We read that. Now look at verse 20. Look at verse 21. And when a convenient day was come, that Herod on his birthday made a supper, he called all the important officials and his lords and captains and chief estates, all the, all the rich folk of Galilee, they all gathered together. And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod. So by this point, Herod's got to be quite drunk. This dance must be quite provocative. And Herod is living in a, just in a, it's just gross. Let's just say it how it is. He likes what he sees with this young girl dancing before him. And he looks at her, and everybody there, there's a big party there, so he turns to his stepdaughter, and he says, Ask of me whatever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. And he swear unto her, Whatever you ask me, I'll give it to you. I'll give you the half of my kingdom. Well, she doesn't know what to do, so she goes forth and she finds her mother. What shall I ask? Now, Herodias is no fence rider. She knows that she hates, hates John the Baptist. So Herodias says, you need to ask for the head of John the Baptist. And she came in straightway with haste to the king and asked, saying, I will that thou give me by and by in a charger. Go get a platter and bring me the head of John the Baptist. Notice this. And the king was exceeding sorry, yet for his oath's sake and for their sakes which sat with him. This isn't really about his oath. It's about his reputation in front of all these people. He would not reject her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought, and he went and beheaded him in the prison, and brought his head in a charger and gave it to the damsel, and the damsel gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in a tomb. This is why, a few months later, when Herod hears about Jesus, he said, It's John, back from the dead. 
God is working in Herod's heart, but he's going to make the wrong decision. Let's watch the video, and we'll talk a little bit more about it after that. Ignoring your conscience can be a terrible thing. As the old saying goes, we are the choices we have made. Conscience is a nag. It tells us to do inconvenient things at inconvenient times. It makes us uncomfortable and it won't leave us in peace. But sometimes, listening to our conscience, and by that I mean our God-given sense of right and wrong, will affect far more than our bodies. It will affect the ultimate destiny of our souls because we are the choices that we have made mark chapter 6 contains one of the darkest moments in the bible it records the story of king herod antipas the ruler of galilee a man who tragically refused to listen to his conscience even though it cost a man his life and may well have cost him his own also caught up in the tragedy is john the baptist a man we were introduced to at the very beginning of Mark's Gospel. A friendless, solitary figure, John the Baptist tells people about Jesus and the rescue he offers. He urges people to repent, a word which means to turn away from sin and turn back to God. And that's exactly the kind of talk that can get you into serious trouble. Herod had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to, because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled yet he liked to listen to him. Before he met Herodias, Herod had been married for over 20 years. However, during a visit to Rome, he allowed himself to fall in love with Herodias, his brother's wife. Herod proposed to her and she agreed to leave her husband as long as Herod agreed to leave his wife. So they started living together in Galilee. And even though John the Baptist tells Herod that what he is doing is wrong, and we know that Herod respects John as a righteous and holy man, Herod ignores the warning and his own conscience. He puts John in prison, perhaps partly to protect him from Herodias, who wanted John dead because of what he'd been saying. We're told that every time Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled. Now this doesn't mean that he was confused by John's teaching as John's teaching was pretty clear. It means that Herod's morals were thrown into confusion because John had exposed the way in which Herod was rebelling against God. Nevertheless, as we saw, Herod liked to listen to him. Perhaps you've experienced something similar as you've come to see that you've been living life without reference to the loving creator who made you. 
Perhaps like Herod listening to John, you listen to the words of Jesus and want to go on listening despite the disturbance they cause. So Herod continued to listen. Week after week it went on. The people at the palace must have thought that their king had gone religious. Mark tells us that Herod feared John, even to the extent of protecting him. But there was something that Herod was not prepared to do. Yes, he would listen. Yes, he acknowledged that John was a good man. Yes, he was even prepared to give John his protection. But Herod would not stop his adultery. He would not turn away from what he knew was wrong. Or as the Bible puts it, he would not repent. As we've seen, the right response when we understand that we've been rebelling against God is to repent. It's to do an about turn, to turn away from our rebellion and come to God for forgiveness and rescue. But that's the one thing Herod won't do. Then one day, on his birthday, Herod throws a party for all his friends and colleagues. Mark's comment at this point is very striking. Finally, the opportune time came. As we're about to see, it's an opportune time for Herod, but also for Herodias. The question is, who will seize the opportunity and who will miss it? On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. In other words, Herodias' daughter dances in a way that gets the half-drunk guests sexually aroused. Herod, in a phrase designed to impress upon his guests what a generous, powerful man he is, says to the girl, Ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, Whatever you ask, I will give you, up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? And Herodias doesn't need to be asked twice. At once the girl hurried into the king with a request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And this is the key moment in Herod's life. He is suddenly in an extremely dangerous place. We are the choices we make, and this choice, this moment, will have a profound effect on what Herod will become. Will he stand up for what he knows is right, or will he suppress his conscience one more time? The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl and she gave it to her mother. Under pressure from friends, family and work colleagues, Herod stopped listening to his conscience. He allowed the head that warned him, the tongue that told him to repent and be rescued, to be literally cut off. Much as he feared John, Herod feared his guests more. And when all is said and done, I wonder if Herod's guests really did respect him any the more for keeping his drunken oaths 
and needlessly slaughtering a man he had previously protected. But how many of us would have done a similar thing in Herod's position? The fact remains that many, many people will do just that. At the crucial moment, we will deny what we know is right because of what the family will think, what business colleagues may do, or because of what friends will say, or because we know it will mean changing much-loved habits. It's no small thing when we consider what we have to lose if we obey Jesus' words. Jesus himself knew firsthand what it was like to suffer, to be misunderstood and ridiculed, even by his own family. In Mark chapter 3, we read that his family went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. But when his family arrive at the house where he is teaching, Jesus says something remarkable. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. It may be that in listening to your conscience, you feel afraid of what it will cost you to do what you know is right. I hope Jesus' words here are a great comfort. He reminds us that if we take his word seriously, even if the people closest to you think you're out of your mind, there is a loving family of fellow believers who are there to support and encourage one another. Whoever does God's will, whoever follows Jesus, is your brother and sister and mother. But it goes even further than that. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus makes this amazing promise to all those who put their trust in him. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Yes, there will be persecutions of one kind or another, but with them, Jesus promises, extraordinary blessings and extraordinary joy that will far outweigh any suffering we might face. I wonder if you see the parallels Mark wants us to draw between John the Baptist and Jesus. Both preach the same message, that we need to turn from our rebellion against God and accept the rescue he has lovingly provided. Both were protected by powerful men, Herod and Pontius Pilate both of whom tried to remain neutral but could not, and both John and Jesus suffered violent deaths as a result. There is, of course, one further point of comparison. Why were both John and Jesus killed? Because in both cases, when Herod and Pilate found themselves under pressure from those around them, they would not listen to their conscience. Herod is mentioned a final time in the Gospels. Pontius Pilate sends Jesus to meet Herod, and in Luke chapter 23, Luke records what happened. The meeting between Herod and Jesus is ominous, not because of what is said, but because of what is not said. Luke tells us, When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer.
You see, there does come a time, after repeatedly refusing to repent, when sadly there is no longer an opportunity to do so. It's easy to put it off, to say that we don't have time, or to think that we've too much to lose, or that there'll be a more convenient time in the future. Of course, it's never easy to repent, and conscience is rarely convenient. But Herod's story reminds us that there is a cost when we refuse to listen to God's word. It also warns us that we may not get an opportunity later. When Herod got no answer from Jesus, he and his soldiers mocked Jesus by dressing him in an elegant robe and sending him back to Pilate, who apparently enjoyed the joke. We read that on that day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. It is a tragedy that John the Baptist lost his life. But the tragedy of Herod himself is even greater, because when he silenced his own conscience, he lost something that was more precious even than life itself. The opportunity to turn away from his wrongdoing and turn back to God. The opportunity to repent. Ignoring Jesus' call to repent and believe may earn us the approval of other people. It may even win us friends. But it will eventually earn us the rejection of Jesus. just a few minutes left to think on that couple of thoughts it there's multiple instances throughout the scripture of people that followed that same course so I, if you study in the old testament there was the pharaoh of egypt and he saw the miracles that moses performed and he knew that it was true and a couple of times he almost made the right decision but it says that he hardened his heart. What's interesting, if you study it, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then it also says, does anybody know what else happened? That God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so when the, the, the fearful thing for anyone that is that person on the fence is that it may turn out, as we talked about earlier, that later in their life, they do have that opportunity to repent and believe. But there is no guarantee. God has offered his offer of mercy to us. He's not obligated to offer it again and again and again. And so Herod made that, that choice. I think if you look at the, the, uh, the discussion, I think the, the first couple of questions are, we've kind of already talked about those uh, on the back, question one, question two. What do you think number three, that, that question? What, are the, what opportunity, or maybe opportunities, plural, do you think Herod missed? What, what, I think there were a couple of key moments here that he, that, that he missed. Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, but I'm, I'm just thinking in the narrative, like specifically, at what moments in the, in the account like, do you see as those crucial moments? I mean, I think obviously... Well, I, there's a few. If you think back through everything that happened, what are the what are the the, the moments of opportunity that he missed? The pressure he was getting 
two different kinds of social pressure. One, the kind of pressure of an intimate relationship with his wife. Wow. When one John tells him what you do is wrong. Okay, so let's pause. Yeah. I think that's the first opportunity. First opportunity Herod has, John comes and says, hey, this is wrong. And then what pressure does he cave to? But whether it's true or not, he's under the pressure of his wife being angry. And he, now he has to say, do I insult my new wife who does not agree with what yeah. has been said with the accusation? And this is why, again, like we were saying, arms length, a lot of times people look at something and say, that's reasonable, that makes sense. But they don't like it pointed towards them. Yeah. Not just because of them, but also because of the people close to them and the world they're in, right. like the people of the party. And not, not just the relationship aspect of making his wife happy, but I think, obviously, he enjoyed this relationship, the sexual component, too. Like, that was going to have to end if he made the decision. How about his wife off that he enjoyed John's preaching? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's like, why are you listening to him? And that's actually another opportunity, because, like you were pointing out, he put John in prison, partially protecting him from her. But one, another opportunity he could have said was, I like what he says, he makes sense by it. Yeah. And, he, and that's another thing that he could have done. Yeah. Um, but people don't have that. They, want, they, they don't want to lose what they have. They don't want to lose the good time they have. They also don't want to look like they're letting down people around them. The people around them are sometimes actually keeping them in the pit. Right. And they don't want to let those people. Well, there's that perceived value that all of these people, his social sphere, there's a perception of value there that all these people are adding to my life, adding to my life. And he pointed out in the video that had he lost the acceptance of that sphere that he had, he would then have gained a new, a new family. I think the contrast to this, somebody who had a similar studied Nicodemus life, because Nicodemus had a similar kind of social pressure on him. And he was a reluctant, secret disciple of Jesus. And he finally came around, but he had to give up his position with the Pharisees and all of that. And I think what you'll see today, in previous generations, there was some social capital. I've heard it described this way. Like if you became a Christian, there was some perceived benefit by living that life, whether it's in your business community and your social community, but now we're, we're, at least in this region, it's post-Christian. So there is zero capital that you get from following Jesus in your social sphere. In fact, you actually lose social capital. So there's these decision points that, that he had. I think another one is obviously the one that was pointed to in the video when he had that moment when she said, give me John's head. But I think there's one later. We actually started with it before we got the, it was kind of like, if you remember, the way the passage started, the way the passage starts, and then there's like this flashback scene to catch us up. But how did the passage start? Who did, who did Herod hear about at the beginning of our passage today? Yeah, he wasn't, John wasn't where we started. We started with Herod, somebody saying, hey, have you heard about Jesus of Nazareth? I think that's another opportunity. It's another opportunity for Herod to say, what have I done? He was convinced this is John the Baptist risen from the dead. He was convinced of it. So I think that's a whole other opportunity for him to repent right there. But he doesn't take either of them. So which of the soils that we studied a few weeks ago, 
Remember, there's the soil that falls by the wayside, the birds eat it. The soil on the stony ground, it's got no root, eventually withers. Under, And then there's the, the, uh, the soil in the thorns, it gets choked out. The soil of the, uh, and then there's a good soil. So which, would, which do you think Herod would be? Stony? Yeah. Oh, thorny? Yeah. Seems a little choky. Yeah. I could go either way, the stony or the, I think the stony one was tribulation came and persecution, but the thorny one was the one where the cares of the world and the lust of other things pretty sure that I got that. He's, I got this look from my dad, like, oh, no, I'm not too sure about that. So he's going to, you can go back, it's uh, Mark 4, 15, and, yep, it's the thorny one. And these are they which are sown among thorns. They hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lusts of other things entering in, choke the word and it become unfruitful. The word was there, he understood it, but there's no fruitfulness to it. Nothing at all. Snatched it, yeah. Well, we know he's not the fourth one, right? So there's probably elements of all of these that are happening there. Yes, sir? Any person of power like that Yeah. To, to get to where you shouldn't. It's it too much for most people, I think, when you have power and, and all that. And well, people, people weigh down your hand and foot and so forth. So you have all those things that you always dream of. Right. But now you got to give that up to get where you really shouldn't. Right. <clears throat> well, Jesus said that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are like, whoa. And Jesus said, well, that's impossible with men, but, it's, but with God, nothing is, nothing is impossible. Yeah? You can say? I think a lot of times with that when people hear that, I've heard that people say that, um, to, to, to say that if a person was wealthy, they were bad or evil, or if they were bad to get the wealth. But I think it's more, it's a more thorough when you realize you're wearing, they have so much. Right. And not only do they want to keep their stuff, not only do they want to get more stuff, but they're getting troubles. They're getting, they have enemies. They have all these things that they have to sort of either ignore or right. be wounded by. Right. Yeah, it's not, that they, it's not that they got their wealth through illegal means or that they were particularly bad people. It's just the fact that they have the stuff. It's like a trap. The stuff is a, is a trap. So very interesting. Um, but you understand, this, the point of this study, and most of us that are having this discussion, obviously we, we already are believers, but it's important for us to help and as we pray for friends or uh, people we know, that these all, all these pressures have levels, right? And whether somebody is at the zenith of power, like, a, like a Herod or Pilate or, or the Pharaoh, or they just are, have a very nice social sphere, a social world, and very nice group of friends and 
a wonderful career and all of this. But in some sense, following Jesus is a call to upset all of that. Because Jesus said, you, you, you got to let go of your life. And so there's that uncertainty. If I follow Christ, what will he ask me to let go of? And that's why he said, well, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? So that's the, one, one of the important lessons from here. And Herod made his choices. And his choice would define his life. His choice would define his eternity. And what's interesting is Herod would go on to live plenty more years and live out his life exactly how he, how he wanted. But that choice he made at, let's say, midlife, it affected the rest of his eternity apart from Christ. So the end, his end was fixed when he made that decision. But he went on to live many, many years. And then he died and faced, faced Christ. So the question is always, what choices will we make about what we hear as we study the life of Christ? Let's close in prayer. Lord, I do pray especially tonight for any that, that we know or that may be following along in these discussions that are keeping you at arm's length. Lord, I pray that you would speak to their hearts, help them to see that today is the day for them to trust you. Today is the day to be saved. God, give them the grace, please, to make that decision today. I pray for those of us following you as we seek to spread your word. I pray for our friends and family and acquaintances that we would like to see know you, Lord. You want them to know you even more than we do. So Please give us a boldness to witness, and, and we just pray that you turn hearts to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.